I, I have not forgotten. I'm that was never going to happen, but it's easier now. We use their story in our story, and we've seen and helped several people who have you know lost children to premature birth, miscarriage, whatever, and we've helped them. And they've heard our stories and they have come up to us afterward and said, thank you. That meant so much. I went through something similar and just us showing them that you do get better has been tremendous to them. And just them knowing that it it will get better. And so sharing that may not be the most pleasant or the easiest thing to do, but it's still something that we have to do. In my opinion, it's, it's very important to us. dialed into reboots featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business all walks of life anonymous or named high profile or low down stories with heart soul and grit because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy experiencing healthy relationships and impacting the world around us in a positive way here's your host tracy winch okay You remember the one about my friend who lost her twin boys who were born prematurely? And then the one about another friend who lives to tell about a 20-year addiction to opiates? You remember those episodes? Well, the stories of Ada and Mason Floyd shared with us in Reboot's episodes R004 and R008 and the R008. Eight extra are among our most popular episodes and with good reason. They showcase the power of redemption that can come from unbelievable pain. Episode R022 features the Floyd's oldest son, Jacob. We recorded this interview just shy of Jacob's 16th birthday. He shares his version of what it was like to have experienced the loss of his brothers at such an early age and how tough it was to realize that the only dad he'd ever known had a drug problem. Jacob explains why it is important for him to join the family tradition of sharing his story And he also responds with grace and conviction to people who see his family's 12-step lifestyle as a weakness. Jacob also offers advice to kids his age and their parents as they navigate profound loss and destructive habits. You know what, though? Jacob's story is about so much more than painful experiences. We're going to chat with Jacob about keeping his grades up, even as he embraces the demands of multiple advanced placement classes, playing in the band, and on the gridiron during football season. Jacob enjoys woodworking. He's learning about forging and making knives. He also talks with us about why it's important for him to create. So let's step back a few weeks to Christmas break and the Floyd home, where Jacob and I chatted at the kitchen table in a home that to him represents so much more than material possessions. It's about family, structure, hard work, love, and grace. Hey, Jacob, thanks for inviting us into your life. Hey, Tracy. Now, we are at your house. It's Christmas break, Mm -hmm. and 
you tell your story where and why? Anywhere I can with anyone that I listen, because on the off chance that something in my story will help someone else. And what's really neat is you are the youngest podcast guest we've ever had. Mm -hmm. So how old are you? 15, turned 16 in less than a month. Happy almost your birthday. And you've been (laughs) wanting to do this almost since I started recording podcasts because your mom and dad were, have each been featured on reboots. And in fact, uh, as of the end of the year 2017, they're in the top four most downloaded episodes. So that's pretty neat. That's not surprising to me, honestly. (laughs) Tell me why. They both have some pretty cool stories. I've gone through the last 15 years with both of them. And just seeing the changes that they've had in their lives from that is pretty great. And then I've heard both of their stories separately and together several times. And it's always just as interesting as it was the first time I heard it. And you were very quick to say, to tell us, hey, I want to be part of this reboot story thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you for doing that. That's Really cool. I'm honored that you would want to share that and that you would trust me to help you share your story. Of course. My pleasure. What's your life like now? It's pretty great. I have an amazing family with two loving parents and two adoring siblings who are just, they're, they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty great. I love them both. I have great friends both at school and at church, and I, I love them all. They're all amazing to me. What's your day typically like? Definitely pretty busy. These last couple of weeks of being out of school have been pretty kind of a blessing, but it's usually, you know, banned from 30 minutes before school starts in the morning to football three hours after school ends in that evening, fill in on the middle time with advanced placement classes. And it's just, it's, it's a constant, it's a constant thing. And it's, it's pretty intense. And you live what? 30 or 40 minutes from church. So mm-hmm. you're at church uh, several times a week mm-hmm. and that commute can kind of, yeah. Well, considering I just started driving, it's a, it's, it's pretty great actually being able to get the practice and uh, I actually do enjoy the drive over there. My mom, not so much. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I had the privilege of being in the audience the first time you shared your story sort of publicly in a, mm-hmm. in a celebrate recovery setting. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, I'm really proud of you for writing and putting together your story. It can be so intimidating to even write your, your story, much less share it in public. And, uh, I'm really proud of you. Well, thank you. I mean, it was, I, I got the rough draft filled out and then me and my mom, Probably three weeks. You know, every Wednesday my siblings go to church. So my mom would go sit at a coffee shop and work on my testimony, you know, making it longer, more in depth. Just because she, she's had more experience writing testimonies than I've had. So she was helping me out with that. And I am in debt to her for that because she did amazing and she helped me out a lot. And I really appreciate it. Well, I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to, I want to dive into your story, but. I also want to talk a little bit about the landing, and mm-hmm. I have the privilege every month or so of volunteering in the landing, mm-hmm. and um, that is the teen 
arm of Celebrate Recovery. Yes. Tell me in your own words what it's like to be in that format every week and to work the 12 steps from from that vantage point. It's, it's a pretty great thing. My parents are the ones that run it. Like you said, you get to come back there and help volunteer. And I've been going there since we opened, since we started over over three years ago. I got my three-year chip in the summer. So for almost three and a half years now, I've been going back there once a week, every week, working the 12 steps that I have heard countless times. All these people say, if only I'd had that when I was your age, I wouldn't be here now. Or I wouldn't have gone through all the stuff I went through. So I feel really blessed and lucky be able to have that. And my siblings have the celebration place, which is, you know, for kids 12 years and younger, start learning about sub recovery. So just having that as an option at such a young age is a, it's, it's an amazing thing. One of the things that helps me in a recovery environment is that I get to see the growth in people as they go forward, even when sometimes I don't see my own growth just because I'm stuck inside my own head. Mm-hmm. Do you see that in your friends? Do you Are you able to see, hey, you are so much better than you were mm-hmm. six months ago? Yeah, we have several people there that have been going there for almost as long as I have. And it's insane because every time I see them, I, I look back at six months, a year, two years, and they have grown and changed in amazing ways. I have lifelong friends that I would have never met other than through Celebrate Recovery and the Landing. And they're, they're some pretty great people. I know we kind of get this stigma of, oh, you're going to a 12-step, so you're, you're a broken person, you're a bad person. And it's not. It's someone who, in my opinion, is stronger because they've had the ability to come out and say and realize, I have an issue. I'm going to go work on it. Tell me how your friends encourage you when when you're having a rotten day because, heck, we all have rotten days. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're having a rotten day, how do your friends encourage you? Well, I have several friends that they may not be able to come all the time or as frequent as they would like. But I can almost guarantee if I'm, if I'm having a bad day, they will be at the landing. They will find some way somehow to show up and to be there and help me out and comfort me and talk to me. And there are several times I'll go and I'll take someone aside and we'll just talk for 10, 15 minutes about something that I have an issue with or something they have an issue with. And we can just, like, I love having friends I can just go and take to the side and just talk to about that kind of stuff. Most of my friends at school, I, besides you know, my close three or four friends, I would not be able to do that with without being judged or made fun of. And with these people, I know I can and be totally safe. Let's talk about your story. You 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 don't have it in front of you, um, so we we won't just completely uh, walk our listeners through it. But I, I did live it, so I can do a pretty good job. And <laughs> and that's what I'm really interested in doing. I mean, your story picks up um, really when you were quite young mm-hmm. and with your with your parents. Mm-hmm. So let's just kind of dive into what life used to be like for you. It all starts back in California with. My mom and my biological father, who was not in the healthiest point in his life. So after a couple months being there, my mom and I pick up and we come back to Fort Smith to be you know, around family and friends and stuff, people that we know. 
And um, within a couple months, she meets another guy at one of her jobs. The guy that I now consider my my dad. He is he's been there for me since I was six months old, and he he's my dad. Um, a couple years later, I was the ring bearer at their wedding, and so you know, and, and but back then it still was a little rough. You know, he was uh, an addict and an alcoholic, and my mom was very codependent and very had to make everything good for him at the cost of us, which thankfully was never very much there. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of recollection from that point in time because of how young I was. And honestly, I think it's a bit of a God give that I don't remember a whole lot from that. Cause I think I'm turning out a lot healthier than I would otherwise. <laughs> but basically life was just full of being dirt poor, moving around a lot and kind of turning a blind eye to the whole dad's addiction and mom's codependency. And by the time I really got old enough to understand what was going on, my dad was trying to stop. He was trying different things, going to programs, doing all this and that, but he just, just couldn't get it. So he goes to, a recovery center to get clean and my mom starts going to separate recovery and he gets back and he's clean, starts going to separate recovery with her. He's going to NA, separate recovery, AA, all these, all these different things trying to get better. And life was good. I mean, we started to, we, we started renting a house here in Alma. So we are closer to her. At the time she worked in Fayetteville and he worked in Fort Smith. Well, as time went on, they both kind of switched. Now he works in Fayetteville and she works in Fort Smith. So we kind of stayed in now because we're, you know, halfway between both. So, I mean, the school district here is amazing. We have, I have such good friends. I used to deal with bullying a lot because I was a little chunky, overweight kid in a school full of rich, skinny, athletic kids, which I just did not fit in at all. So came to Alma and I realized, you know, I'm not the only poor fat kid here. Like, like I, I blended in. I, I belong. It was really nice. But things just kept getting better. And here we are now sitting in a house that we, we bought. We are, we all three have cars. We all, like we all have our own rooms with stuff in it. And like we have TVs and like we are very blessed and we've come a long way from where we were, you know, six years ago. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie and say it was all God's gift. It, it took some serious work from on our part. And, but I mean, we are just very blessed. I want to go back and pick up a, an, another critical part of your story simply because it's hard to deny we're sitting at a, a table where mm-hmm. you've got family pictures and there are, there's a photograph of uh, one of your little brothers mm-hmm. and your mom speaks eloquently of, um, the birth of the the boys mm-hmm. and one died 18 or 19 days after premature birth. Yes. He dies. Actually it was 28 days, 28 days uh, after birth. And then the other one was just shy of two years old whenever he passed away. And that was a hard time. I don't have a whole lot of memories from that part of life either. I don't have very many memories of Keaton, the youngest one. The one that died uh, after 28 days. 
but I do have quite a few of Caden. I have the time of me and him are playing with my dog, Sarah, and we went to the zoo and one of my most vivid, clear memories is the day my parents came home and told me that he died in the hospital. And we just sat on the couch staring at a picture of him and just, I just remember my tears just dripping onto the picture frame. And that was one of the hardest times for me. And within a couple of months, we hauled it back up to Fort Smith out of Oklahoma city where all the pain was. That was, that was a very hard time for us. Jacob, that's a lot to unpack. And you have friends who deal with a lot more than someone your age should have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you navigate that at your age? It can't be easy. It, it's, it's not, but the landing and separate recovery has helped me tremendously through that. I mean, I kind of did struggle with, you know, depression, being sad and stuff, but it was so long ago. I don't want, I don't want this to come off wrong. It was so long ago. I've kind of moved on. I, I have not forgotten. I'm, that was never going to happen, but it's, it's easier now. We use their story in our story and we've seen and helped several people who have, you know, lost children to premature birth, miscarriage, whatever. And we've helped them and they've heard our stories and they have come up to us afterward and said, thank you. That meant so much. I went through something similar and just us giving us showing them that you do get better has been tremendous to them. And just them knowing that it it will get better. And so sharing that may not be the most pleasant or the easiest thing to do, but it's still something that we have to do. In my opinion, it's, it's very important to us. So we've got a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one is someone your age who has lost us a little brother or a little sister. What advice or encouragement do you give them? Reach, reach out, find friends or family that know your situation and you know will help you and talk to them. Don't go look for it in, you know, a joint or a bottle or razors. Don't mess with that stuff. It will never end up good. Go find someone you can talk to and trust and let them help you. It may be awkward or embarrassing, but I promise it is so much better than any other option. That has been one of the most, the, the best thing for me is just having friends and me and my parents are so close. I consider them friends and they're my two closest friends. I'm having, I'm having an issue, whether it be with girls or school or fill in the blank, I can go sit in their room. We can talk for however long about it. And they are my, my biggest help through some of my toughest times. And that's my next question is what advice or encouragement do you have for a parent or a grandparent in the throes of grief? How do you help a child navigate the tough times that you've been through? How do you best help 
the child. Don't turn a blind eye. If if they say they're all right, but you don't think they are, don't take their word for it. Reach out and help them, but don't overwhelm them. You got it's got to find a balance of providing them help and the comfort and the structure that they need without smothering them and just constantly reminding them about it too. It's a very delicate balance and the delicate thing to deal with. But no, no kids are right after losing a sibling or a close relative or just, it's just not an easy thing to deal with. What's the best thing that your parents do for you when you're having a tough few days or weeks? They give me their honest opinions. They don't lie to me and tell me, oh, everything's going to be all right. You'll move on. You'll do whatever. They don't lie to me like that. They tell me the truth. Say, yeah, this is going to suck and it's not going to be fun. But in the end, you're going to you're gonna turn out a lot better than if we just shield you from it. If I'm having, if I'm struggling with school and I'm failing a class, they'll say, you can't do this, this, and this until you pick that grade up. I may hate them in the moment, but I know it's for the best. I know that they're helping me and that they're trying to better me. That They don't shield me from this, all this awful stuff, but they're not shoving me out there either. I mean, they're, they're, it's a clean balance of this is what the world is and this is how, how it's going to treat you. Get prepared. I want to switch gears a little bit to something more pleasant and really exciting and fun. All right. You have something, really, it's more than, than a hobby, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, to help you just sort of clear your mind, maybe, mm-hmm. and an interest. Talk about that. So I'm going, I'm, I'm going to start this off with about a month and a half ago, I made the dumb mistake of punching a brick wall out of anger. And it is not a smart thing. If you, if you're listening to this, don't, don't do it. There's so many other better options than punching a brick wall. They will always win. So I'm just now getting over my boxer's fracture from that experience. And so just in time to get a bunch of, uh, forging materials for Christmas so I've been into making knives for a little over a year and a half now, and I'm no means an expert. I have turned out some pretty some knives that I am I'm proud to put my name on, and I'm, I'm proud to say I made. But I haven't been able to really do what I what I wanted. I've only been able to start with a piece of metal and take metal off. I haven't been able to you know use a forge and shape the metal to how I want it. And so for Christmas, you know, I asked for forging stuff. So I got, you know, a bunch of bricks to make a forge. I got propane jets to, you know, heat it up. I got an anvil from a neighbor that makes knives. And I got hammers and aprons and gloves and tongs. I got all this stuff that I, I just would have cost me insane amounts of money to, with the non-existent job I have now. So between that and then all the, you know, the welding equipment that I got from my grandpa and just it's a fun hobby and it's a lot better to go, you know, go bang on a hot piece of metal than a brick wall with your fist. It's, 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 a, lot, it's a lot more re- rewarding to turning out this beautiful knife that you, you made opposed to going to the hospital with a broken knuckle. 
so yeah, it's it's a it's something that I, I thoroughly enjoy and could definitely see a future in too. Where do you get your ideas for designing a knife? I know you've done some wood carvings too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, actually made my grandma and my aunt a wooden uh, Swedish design butter and cheese knife and cutting board for Christmas, and they both loved it and they they are very happy with it. A lot of my inspiration comes from the, just the internet, just looking at different knife designs on there and then maybe finding a couple of knives that I really like, but I'm not happy with this quality or this quality of it. So I'll just kind of mix and match and make my own ones that, in my opinion, look better or look nicer. Um, I made my mom a kitchen knife a couple months ago that turned out really nice and I'm really happy with. And it's... And it kind of falls into the parameters of it's not too thick to cut this or not too thin to cut that. So it's, it's a very, uh, it's, it's very well thought out and designed knife. Wow. Do you sketch one out first? Do you just start kind of pounding away? How do you, how do you start with a design? Well, it usually starts off with just a kind of idea in my head and then, I'll sit down with a piece of paper and I'm by no means an artist. That's just not, not something I'm good at or value, but I'll start sketching it out the best I can. And before too long, I actually have a knife that I'm looking at thinking this is, this is something that I could definitely make and be happy with. And so I'll sit there for an hour, hour and a half, just erasing and sketching, erasing and sketching until I find the right, you know, bevel point, the right, uh, handle shape, right length, right width, right, whatever, and typically I would go and, you know, cut that out and then just stick it on a piece of metal and cut that out and then just work it down to, until I have the shape and sharpness and edge that I want. And then that thing becomes three dimensional. Mm-hmm. Are you ever surprised with how well or ill balanced it is? Or as you're sketching it, do you kind of feel it in your hand, how it's going to, how it's going to feel when you pick it up? I typically try to, you know, I, I'll go and I'll cut it out and then I'll kind of put it in my hand and just kind of measure and see how long the handle is, how long the blade is. And then I'll go and I'll cut out a piece of metal about the same length and tape it on there and kind of just hold it in the area and to see the general weight idea and see how it's going to feel. And depending on whether it's a chopper or a slicer or a stabber or whatever, I kind of feel out how it feels in my hand. And uh, I'm, I'm usually pretty happy with how it turns out. If I'm not, I'll go back and I'll resketch and redraw until I am happy with it. So you're gonna sell these or give them away or sign them and autograph them or <laughs> how, what what's the future of Jacob's forming business? Well, I am still in the learning phase, and so I haven't made any that I'm willing to sell yet. I'm I'm still using, you know, cheap materials that if I mess up, it's not the end of the world. And so once I get good enough that I know I'm not going to mess it up or waste materials or I, I don't want to sell crappy material or crappy products. I want to sell good stuff that I would use on a daily basis and would trust. And so as of right now, I'm just making eh knives with eh material. And so once I get good, I'll start using good material. And then I, I do, I would like to start selling one day. How do you learn? Are you, are do you watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts? Do you have a friend who does forging and you ask him or her lots of questions? How do you 
is it all just by failure <laughs> and success? Um, yes, to all of those. I, I have found several different forms of ways of learning. I've I have YouTube is a great help. It's a great it's a great thing. Uh, lots of YouTube, uh, Reddit knives. They have a lot of cool hints and tips and tricks and stuff. I do have friends that make knives as well. Um, I have a neighbor two houses down that has made some of the best knives I've ever seen. Then TV shows at Fortune Fire and like stuff like that. It's just there. It's a lot more popular than people might think. If you look for it, you can find tons of people that do this thing and they enjoy it and they are very good at it. So what advice or encouragement do you have for really anybody who wants to create, but maybe they're a little bit afraid. They don't know how to get started with something like, Hey, I want to be a knife maker, but all I know how to do is sketch something out on a paper napkin, or I want to create an X. Um, This whole creativity thing it's pretty amazing and that you're learning it at your age is a big deal. So you have an opportunity to teach somebody something my age about mm-hmm. just creating as a daily habit. Mm-hmm. Any advice I would give is don't be afraid to try it. If you come up with this insane knife design that you think would be turn out really cool, but you're afraid you might waste materials or you're afraid you might hurt yourself or you're afraid you might whatever within reason put yourself out there i mean don't i mean if if all you have to work with are hand tools i've made several knives from just you know cutting out with the hacksaw and filing out the file and sandpaper and it, it may not be the most pleasant experience ever but it's a heck of a lot more rewarding than just you know maybe sketching one out and just hanging up on your wall well, I, I know I have several knives that I've just sketched out and then just never got around to making. I have a pile of papers in my room that I just sketched once and then just sit over there. But for the few knives that I do sketch that I do intend to make, if, if I know I'm going to be making that knife, then sketching it is not as rewarding. It's after I make that knife and I'm looking at it holding it in my hand with, you know, a mirror polish on it and a a burned wood handle and a hidden tang like all these amazing intricate things that I never thought I'd be able to do that just all all it took was me stepping out of my comfort zone and trying them and found out that it's a lot easier than you would think. Comfort zone. So you're really good at stepping out of your comfort zone creatively. Mm -hmm. What are you, what are you bad about stepping out of your comfort zone on? What is your, what are your folks have to go? Get on out there, son. <laughs> Ordering and in drive throughs I am not a huge fan of that. If I never go to a drive thru I'll let my mom drive or I will decide to go in if I can. But just going in through drive throughs that's always something that kind of really bothered me. I always lock up and forget what I was going to say or do. But um, besides that, probably, I don't know. I mean, I'm a very extrovert person I, I like being in crowds i like going out with people and hanging out i like just i like doing stuff and so there's not a whole lot that really kind of bothers me or puts me out of my comfort zone two more questions all right what good in your life today would not exist had you not gone through the tough spots in your life so far 
I don't think I ever would have moved to Alma and gotten the friends that I have now. These are people and friends that I'm going to have for as long as I live, and I love every one of them dearly. But I don't think I ever came here. I don't think we ever would move to Alma if we hadn't got those house times. I think we'd still be living in California, or we'd still be living in Oklahoma City or Fort Smith. But we wouldn't. I don't think we'd be here at Alma. You've learned a lot just from in the past year or so. You're living a life that you never thought that you would be able to live. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I see this home as so much more than material things in your mind. This is a tangible result of what happens when you change your life, right? Mm-hmm. What have you learned about this whole experience of your parents, watching your parents working their way into a spot where they can have a a great house for you and your brother and sister? What's that lesson you learned from them? I've learned that no matter what life throws at you, it's important to remember where you came from and where you've been and just don't let yourself get sucked into these small things that don't really matter. You know, keep your mind on, you know, your religion and your friends and your family. And as long as you focus on that stuff, focus on maintaining your money and don't squander it all on useful or useless things that you'll never touch. Save it up. Put it, you know, instead of buying a piece of a candy bar, throw it in a bank account. Put it in a piggy bank. Put it in a Walmart sack under your mattress. Just put it somewhere. I know for me personally, I have a lot of issues with spending money. I have my pocket. I'm going to spend it. So I have a little, like a little uh, lockbox in my room. I just throw money in there, lock it up, and I forget about it. And then four months later, I'll go back and open it. Oh, look, free money. So it's it's just one of those things that, I don't know. Maintaining money is something that I've learned from my parents, and they're making sure I'm gonna I'm gonna learn that and remember that. But we could have avoided so much had we just maintained money a little bit better in the earlier days. What advice or encouragement do you have for someone your age or even my age mm-hmm. who is dealing with loss right now? Don't give up find something or someone that can help you and stick to it. Don't go searching for false things that will in the end hurt you. Find someone you can trust a friend or family member is one of the most important things in life. In my opinion. Thanks Jacob. Man, what an amazing story. And an even more amazing young man. Thank you, Jacob. So Jacob is making it a habit to share his story at Celebrate Recovery and meetings in our region. And what a blessing that is, hopefully to him. I know it is to those who hear his story. If you're a teen or an adult and you feel isolated and alone, would you consider following the advice of this 16-year-old? Don't give up do reach out. There is hope. If you're the parent of a teen dealing with grief or depression, 
go back and re-listen to Jacob's advice about parenting, about the balance between structure and giving your child room to start growing up. And finally, if someone you know could benefit from Jacob's story, it's really easy to share it. Go to rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode two, two, tap the share button on the podcast player. I'm Tracy Winchell, and we'll see you next time. Deo Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom. 